Okay, everyone, the H1B guy here, and today, December 8th, 2021, um, I'm proud to welcome in for the second time uh, Mark Pavlopoulos from Syndesis and Path to Canada. Uh, Mark last joined the channel back on April 1st, where we talked about Path to Canada, a little bit of Syndesis, and we got into gts a good bit and we're going to have that discussion again today um but before we get started i'd like to ask you if you haven't already to please subscribe to the h1b guy channel here on youtube and like this video so that i can continue to produce more content like this for you i also wanted to mention that today's stream is brought to you by syndesis and path to canada the ideal plan B for high-skilled immigrants currently in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. Um, of course, we've got a whole new um, bunch of content out there. If you go to the h1bguy.com, you can check today's live stream. Um, there are links to Path to Canada. There's links to Syndesis. Um, there are links to uh, webinars that uh, Mark has done with Daniel Mandelbaum, an immigration attorney uh, in, in Canada that, that helps Syndesis impact Canada um, in their processing. Um, I also wanted to mention today's video is brought to you by perm-ads.com. Um, we appreciate their sponsorship in, in conjunction with Path to Canada uh, and Syndesis. So, Mark, how are you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me back on the show. Awesome. Glad to uh, to have you. Really, really glad to have you join us. And, uh, you know, you and I had the pleasure. I'm going to pull it up here. Last Friday, um, you and I got to connect in a little coffee shop here in, in, person. in, in person. In person. You believe that? Yeah. So 20, uh, 2021 is, has brought back the, um, the in-person meeting and, uh, you know, you, you shared a great post yesterday on, um, LinkedIn that, that talked about, you know, our conversation, uh, that, that we had. And, you know, the interesting thing about that conversation, uh, really to, to no one's surprise, Mark, you know, we, we discussed, um, <laughs> immigration both in the US and Canada for for about an hour and a half and probably could have gone for uh, another hour hour and a half you know it's it, it's amazing a topic that that I think you and I both um eat live and and breathe right is uh exactly. is, is employment based immigration sort of cross border as you refer to it um, but, you know, one of the interesting things I think that came up from our conversation and you asked me about this was was your curiosity around H-1B fatigue. And yeah. I, I think that's an, an interesting question. And I think that when we look at, um, you know, what's currently going on right now uh, in terms of immigration reform, you and I talked a lot about Build Back Better and, and what I thought would be included in that. And Again, we're still waiting on what is or is not going to be included um, from the Senate parliamentarian on immigration. And I think a lot of that lends itself back to this this concept of, of H-1B fatigue. And, you know, you, you asked me, hey, what 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 do I think it is? And, you know, my, my answer was, uh, again, you look at high skilled immigrants specifically from from India. If, uh, if we're going to talk about the demographic that's most impacted, one point two million plus. And, you know, I told you an individual that has a, an employment based green card that's sponsored by an employer is looking to wait roughly thirty eight hundred to four thousand days. Such a hugely disappointing number to hear like the, yeah. the impact has. Yeah. And, and and we also talked about the lottery, right? And the electronic lottery demand on that 300 plus thousand. Um, and, you know, when we did our first session back in April, a lot of that was around failed lottery and OPTs that were, were looking to make a move. And, um, you know, another stat that I shared with you, I, I, I thought that really picked your interest was, year over year, H-1B approval ratings were down 12% in STEM here in the U.S. Uh, yeah, I'm, it's it's like almost like the, the onslaught of bad news just continues. It is. And, and I think that that's what lends itself to the H-1B fatigue on the individual side. 
on the employer side, you have this constant churn of extensions and amendments and, you know, a variety of, of fees associated both legal and government, right, filing um, associated with continuing employment as it relates to an H-1B visa. And we, we did some calculations. We were talking about some break-evens in, in terms of, you know, how long does an individual have to stay on an H-1B here in the U.S.? Um, what does that look like, you know, in, in terms of if we were looking at relocating that job to Canada? So that leads me into your lines of business, right? And for really the last, uh, you know, nine months, followers here of this channel and this platform have heard me talk about Path to Canada a good bit um, and also about Syndesis. But today I, I want to start with Syndesis because Syndesis to me is more on um, the individual who has an issue and has an employer who's willing to help them. They want to move their job. And I want to get into that first. Then we'll talk about Path to Canada and, and what that is. So um, I guess from my perspective, you know, kind of a quick overview of, of Syndesis's business. Um, who's the ideal individual, the ideal client for you on the employer side? Yeah, I'll give a, a quick overview. So Syndesis is a company we build engineering teams in Canada for tech companies in the US. So you'd say you, if you're looking at the services, you're like, oh, you do recruiting. Oh, and then also you remotely employ people in Canada. And then lastly, very pertinent to this discussion, you can sponsor their Canadian work visas. So the, I think of the ideal, as you said, the ideal scenario, it's, there's two different parties here. There's the immigrant tech worker in the US. In this case, they have expiring OPT, last try, they are looking at a date where they have to leave the U.S. So that person, I wouldn't call that an ideal scenario. I would call that very unideal for them. But that's the scenario where we can help. So OPT is expired. There's no more chances. The U.S. company is looking, unfortunately, to terminate them when they leave the U.S. because they're going to be wherever, when they're going back home, they're too far away. And that worker is usually out of options in the U.S., and that work has to be open to the idea of a permanent move to Canada. So a few of those things line up, let's say on the, on the worker side, for the company, it's they're looking at this person as someone who's a critical part of their team, someone who they who knows their, knows their company is respected internally, and they don't want to lose them. So usually I'm I'm having conversations with someone from HR from a tech company in the U.S., and they're explaining this how critical this person is and also that they want to find a way to make this work. So all those things have to be lined up. It's the worker with an with a open mind to moving to Canada permanently who has no more options in the US. But in this case, the worker's not paying any fees for Syndesa services. It is their US employer who is going to first pay for a Canadian immigration lawyer to help them cross the border, next pay for Syndesa's fees to sponsor that work visa in Canada, and then long-term, the U.S. employer will be working with Syndesis because we're an employer of record or a, or a PEO, which is a professional employer organization. We have the ability to legally employ this worker long term in Canada. So there's also a commitment from the company. It's both financial and looking, looking at this person saying we want to keep them. How can we keep them? And Syndesis offers a solution for that. So ideal candidate then for Syndesis would be potentially an OPT, OPT STEM that's expiring in a failed lottery working here in the U.S. for, you know, anywhere between what, one to three years, I, I think, if, if you're looking at, at that, or even possibly someone who's on an H-1B who may be tired of waiting in the backlog that we alluded to earlier and has an employer that, that says, hey, I'm, I'm willing to, um, to allow you to work remotely um, from, from outside of the U.S., is that right? Yeah, it could be either. I think we find the numbers are slanted towards OPT expiration because okay. the mindset, what we usually see is the wor the worker themselves the, has, has reached a level of um, um, it's desperation because they're going to go back to their U.S. immigration lawyer. They're going to go back to their company and say, Let's, what, what can we try? What can we do? Mm -hmm. And there's usually then a point of realization of like, there's nothing else we can do. Got it. And, that, and, and that's the moment that that's what usually drives this, because then there's a there's a calculation going on from the company of, OK, well, when you have to leave the U.S., 
for example, let's say next year on April or May, a series of events are going to happen. There's a there's the disillusionment of saying we're going to lose someone who's valuable to our company. Mm-hmm. Then there's the reality check of they're going to be terminated. They're going to go back to home country. All that work is, is, has been the hard work either for, you know, for immigration lawyers, the work they've done at the company is wasted because then they're going to end up leaving. Mm-hmm. So all those things line up for companies saying, I'm willing to take an unusual step to you know, move this person to Canada or find a way to transition their job up north. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting concept for me because I, I think if you, you, you look at talent acquisition as a whole here in the U.S. and the amount of time that's involved with acquiring talent, training talent, investing in that talent, even if it's an OPT that's facing an expiration, um, the loss of that individual, then you have to begin that recruitment cycle all over again. And by the time you begin that recruitment cycle all over again, you could have the employee in in Canada, which you know I I think if, if you told me correctly, time frame wise, you know sixty days was about the average, but processing is has been I guess expanded a little bit in kind of this continued COVID era. Uh, if I'm an employer and I come to you and I say, hey, I've I've got this employee, I'd like to relocate this this their job to Canada. From a time frame, from when I express interest, commit to doing that, what's kind of the average time frame around that? The total time frame is two and a half to three months um, okay. to from putting the application together for global, for Canada's work visa program, Global Talent Stream, to going through the steps involved to the work visa being issued. It is a little slower with COVID. It takes longer to do biometrics tests in the US. You have to do your fingerprints. So on the safe side from start to finish, three months. Has been done in two. Yeah, so ninety days roughly is is the the benchmark. You could say plus or minus a few weeks either way. I I would guess, right? Yeah, I'm going to jump back to a point you just made because you you I forgot to mention something. You brought this up. You said, "Look, there's replacement costs. There's workers have been part of a team." When we usually have these calls, the the question I'm asking, I'm usually talking to someone you know from HR. It might be an engineering manager, but they're in the conversation when i ask them what's the replacement cost of this worker what's their replacement time you put mm-hmm. those factors out there replacement cost everyone's going to say like oh that's 50 60 70,000 there's some number that hr quantifies very quickly and then there's the time frame to hire a new worker ramp them up and mm-hmm. then i'm like okay that, that's that goes in column a and then in column b what we're going to put here is as you said um two and a half to three months a cost that's significantly less than that 99% surety this person will be across the border. So basically I'm telling them, I'm giving you an option that in less than three months for much less than the cost of replacement, you're gonna move this worker across the border. They're gonna take their laptop with them and they start a whole new life in Canada. Mm-hmm. And the companies, and it's usually a scenario they haven't heard of. And then I turn to the worker and say, okay, column A and B. Column A is your US immigration situation. You already know what it is. There is, it, it, it's been made clear to you, but you don't want to take a jump to another country and, and enter another a complicated situation. So I just spell it to them. Your Canadian work visa, it's a 99% chance of being approved. It's two years and renewable. By the end of the first two years, uh, you are you will probably qualify for Canadian permanent residence. In four to five years, you will be a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. There's column B, there's your path. How are you feeling about this? And you usually mm-hmm. see, you see a surprise reaction from both parties, from the company and from the individual worker. So Syndesis, if we just kind of go back and, and, and recap it, you know, it, it is you have an employee or you are an employee who either is an, OP, an expiring OPT, preferably about four months out of that expiration, just to give yeah. yourself a little bit of buffer. Maybe you had a failed lottery. And, and I think this is a good reminder coming up because, you know, March 2023, we'll be back to the electronic you know lottery again. Um, I, I think it's a good reminder for those individuals that are in that status. And then maybe if you're an H1B who has an employer who values you, you're a permanent employee, but you know, they, they may not want to do permanent residency for you, but are willing to look at, you know, a different level of expense from a, from an international relocation. What changes is you, your job relocates to Canada. It doesn't matter where in Canada, is that correct? They, they can kind of choose where they want to live under the Syndesis umbrella. Right. Yeah. And they're an employee Any- of Syndesis, but work for the U.S. employer. Exactly. Um, COVID definitely changed this. But since the U.S. employer 
unless they're trying to match. The only thing I hear co companies saying is, hey, we want to match time zones. So one's in mm -hmm. California. We'll say, hey, they'll suggest we'd really prefer that you be up in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And then on the East Coast, we have people moving up Atlanta, New York, Boston, Miami. The preference from the company is, can you stay in time zone, preferably in Toronto? But again, you could, they, they can pick anywhere to live in Canada. If the company says it's not an issue, you can, you can pick any city that's interesting to you. Not mm -hmm. a problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's I think that's the key, right? You're talking about uh, while it is remote work, it is within the the same time zone. If if they choose geographically speaking, the 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 right time zone, you know, a lot a lot of times folks are really curious about costs associated with this. And and listen, you know, it's not cheap. I mean, we're talking you know tens of thousands of dollars, right? There's there's an organizational fee, there's legal fees associated with it. But it's a great option. It's an option if you have no other situation. You look at what's the cost of recruitment, what's the cost of of the the loss and production of that employee, and and you can multiply that and and say, you know, within ninety days, I can have this individual stood up in a similar time zone internationally. Um, I I just love the Syndesis option, not only for the individual but for the employer, um, and as especially for those who don't have another option, right? We're talking about a denial or an expiration. And when yeah. those are the, 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 the situations, the options to remain in the U S are very limited. So yeah, this, as you, as we both called it, it's a, it's a plan B it's when all, when your U S options are exhausted, or like you said, with an H one B where it's like, they, you can't see a future to a green card. This there's it's uh, the cost is borne by the employer. Uh, the worker's not paying for anything along the way. Maybe maybe the relocation cost to Canada might be springing for. But overall, the, the numbers you threw out there all covered mm -hmm. by the company. Yeah. And that I think that's the, the, the key there. Right. Is that's where, you know, that that product or that business unit, if you will, Syndesis, um, you know, provides the value to the employers and, and the extended value to to the employee. So how did you come up with that concept of, of Syndesis? The background is it took a while to put the pieces together. So I've worked for seven VC backed startups in Silicon Valley in Canada. And then even though I'm an American from California, I also live in Canada twice. So I was on student visas. Um, I got my MBA in Canada and two years later came right back to Silicon Valley, like Holmes, California, you know, it was uh, joined a startup and then ended up, um, living in Toronto randomly for a few years, worked in venture capital, another Canadian tech company, then came home. But that perspective was planted because I met a lot of Canadians who were in tech and they're just like, hey, look, home's California, but I'm jealous of all my friends who moved. They have these cool tech jobs. And I'm like, what if I could bring tech jobs to you? And then I, I put that together with my friends who were starting companies who were CTOs or VP engineering. So they're like, it's too hard to hire here in the US. You know, it's hard to compete with Google and Facebook. And then, you know, offshore teams are too far away. And I was just like, what about Canada? And the reaction was always like a positive one of people like, oh, I didn't think of that. And then they would say things like, oh, but it's complicated in Canada, Mark. Um, you know, it's like France, you can't fire anyone, it, you know, and all those things. I'm like, no, not true. I worked up there for years. And then I realized, okay, wait, I have that knowledge I can trade off of. I can solve a problem. So that's where the first part of the iteration of the company was. I'm a remote employer in Canada for US companies. They don't have to set up operations up there. But as a remote employer and as a Canadian corporation, that gave me rights. Then as I found out in years later, when I tried, when I was asked to move someone to Canada, Canadian immigration lawyer said, hey, we have this cool new program, Global Town Stream. Hey, look, you can qualify for this and you can get permission from the Canadian government to, to sponsor people to move up into your employment organization. And that mm -hmm. kind of, I wouldn't have thought of this, Robert, when I set this up, my original vision seven years ago was I'll build engineering teams in Canada and I'll be a remote employer in Canada. And then mm -hmm. a few years back, I found out that I can also be a sponsor for Canadian work visas. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, and then that leads into kind of the next line of business, right? And the next service offering, which is the path to Canada avenue and 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 that is more for the individual who says i'd like to look for organizations that want to bring me to canada under kind of the same process which is the gts process but the yes. path to canada line uh is is more in what i would say it's a it's a recruitment firm right you're right that's it's a 
I, I got the idea basically because after I was, I'd have to see all the, for, for Syndesis, everything has to line up. You have to have the company saying, we're going to do this. We're going to pay for this. This is a tech worker that we value. Mm -hmm. Then you have the individual saying, okay, look, I'm, this is going to help me. I can't stay in the U S it all, that has to line up. What I noticed, and I can, you know, I have permission from Canadian immigration services to move like 50 people and they can always move more. Mm -hmm. But what I also noticed was that I spoke to a lot of people who said, Mark, my company's not on board or they're, you know, I'm working for a big company, like a big, you know, Fortune 500, and I can't get the L1 track. I can't get the transfer to Canada. I'm on my own. And what I kept hearing from a lot of people was, uh, this sounds great, but I don't have the company that will back me on this. I, and I realized, okay, wait, you, you need your own way to get to Canada without having a company to move you and pay for everything. And what I also realized was many U.S. companies have set up operations in Canada and there's a shortage of talent with all the Canadian companies. So there are many, many Canadian companies that are look, desperate looking for talent. And that's where I realized, okay, wait, I could move hundreds of people across the border. It's recruiting, as you exactly said. It's what I basically built as a marketplace. Mm -hmm. So my customer becomes the Canadian tech companies who are, when I tell them, hey, do you want U.S. educated, U.S. experienced engineers who um, face extremely long wait times for a green card in the U.S. and want to move to Canada? And the answer is always an excited Yes, but we don't know how to find those people. We have no idea. We heard, you know, the immigration in the U.S. is, you know, that there's a lot of challenges there, but we like, we read the news, but we don't know how to find them. And I'm like, oh, okay, what I can do is I can build a vetted database. I can bring both of you together. So you're right. It is recruiting because from the Canadian company's point of view, they'll tell us I need a data scientist, I need four full stack engineers, I need C sharp. They're, they're telling us what we need. And then in the U.S., we're basically reaching out to people in the immigrant tech community saying, Look, if you if you if you have a long wait for a green card, if it's an impossibly long wait, and you do, and and that's not how you want to live your life, let's you know apply to Path to Canada, um, join the database. We'll interview you. We'll find out more about your tech skills, and then we will connect you with a Canadian tech company. They'll interview you. They'll hire you. They sponsor your work visa, no cost at all to you. There's zero cost in this. But I think what I realized is if you look at the pool of of H-1B tech work or just tech workers in the U.S. or immigrants, mm -hmm. one, two or three percent have a company that could actually do what Syndesis does and help them move over. The other right. 98 or 99 percent are going to say, Mark, my company won't do that. I'm like, yeah, you're on your own, but you shouldn't be on your own. Here's a way where we can vet the companies. So we're talking to my team is talking to Canadian companies, getting them signed up on this, educating them on the U.S. immigration system and saying, here's why the situation people are in. And then we're also doing video interviews with the workers. So we're not throwing you into a database. We actually do video interviews, a couple of 30-minute interviews to find out, you know, who you are, what's your motivation for moving to Canada. We help educate you on Canadian immigration options. Mm -hmm. And then once the person's bought in enough, then we put them into our database and connect them up with Canadian companies that are eager to hire them. And that process is that's no cost to the employee, right that's a that's a it's a free service you're 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 compensated on the other side from the canadian employer um from from the employee perspective and then you know very similarly it's it's the gts entry into canada right you kind of go through that so same process then again looking at about 90 days on that from an offer acceptance do yes. do canadian companies understand though that hey this individuals if they're in the u.s it's 90 days. And, and I think you told me you've had some success with folks that have worked in the U.S. that now are outside of the U.S. that wanted to get back into the Western Hemisphere. Yeah, that's so it's originally I thought that when I started this two years back, um, my, my thought was, OK, it's going to be the same group of people. Um, probably it's OPT expirations and people who don't have a company can move them. Mm -hmm. To my surprise, when I talk to my recruiting team now, their feedback is, they said, Mark, 75, 80% of the people in the, in the database are in the U.S. currently, but the other 20, 25% had to leave over the last three to three to 12 months. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, you know, mostly back in India, some Singapore, some Pakistanis, they're, they, they've had to leave and they, and now, and they're, the, the U.S. option is closed, but then they see what you're offering. So yeah, it's like, yeah, we can help you too. There's no limitation. You don't have to be in the U.S. So we, mm -hmm. you know, we're getting more international. Uh, pe people that have had to leave the U.S. or maybe have never been, but the focus we originally did is H-1Bs. And mm -hmm. that's the other thing we discovered was the majority of people for Path to Canada are, ha they have their H-1B. 
but they have, like you said, that 3,800, 4,000 day notice where they're, 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 they're anywhere from mid twenties to mid forties. And they're like, I'm not going to get my green card. Mm -hmm. And then they see one of our events and we spell out to them, Hey, look, this immigration work visa in Canada. If you're a tech worker, you have to be a, you know, have a STEM degree or be, you know, hardware, software engineer or like, or the manager, there's a lot of different qualifications, but if that's you and you're you know, anywhere from mid twenties to mid forties, and you're not going to get to get a green card, here's what can here's what can happen in Canada. You get a two year mm -hmm. work visa renewable. It comes with an open work visa for your spouse. They can work for anyone. Unlike the H-4, there's no limitations on the, on the Canadian work visa for a spouse or partner. And mm. then by the end of two years, I always have to see, you know, I'm not a Canadian immigration lawyer, but for the most part, for what, what I've seen through practices, you get points for the offer letter. You get points every year you live in Canada. So mm -hmm. for many people, they have a two-year work visa, they're a Canadian permanent resident. Mm -hmm. And then they're on the Canadian citizenship. That's very different. Mm -hmm. Which is about a four-year timeline, right? So if you think about two years of, of GTS and then, you know, going through that that express entry, right, which is the, the points-based system, having a full-time job in Canada, uh, I think you and I have talked about it, estimated to be worth roughly around 40 points or so, um, just like that right, right then and there. And so that's a, a pretty big jump when you look at the way the merit system in, in Canada works and in terms of the express entry. What about those that are international for, for path to Canada? Okay. It, you know, are you, is it U S experience? That's really the key. So it's somebody that's been outside of the U S or been in the U S working here. And then if they're outside of the U S right. Um, I, I know individuals that are currently working here in the U.S. Of course, are, are definitely in line in, in terms of who would qualify. But for those outside of the U.S., they've worked in the U.S., but they're outside of the U.S. Uh, what's the timeline on on that? And then, you know, is is it only U.S. experience that you're looking for here? When we started that, what, what we were telling the Canadian companies is U.S. experienced and or U.S. educated, you know, um, engineers, um, tech talent. Mm -hmm. There are, I would say there is some, there's some number of people in our database that have never, that either haven't been in the U.S. So when, when I, I think we're in the process of the, the current um, group of 10 people coming over, a couple of them have never lived in the U.S. So they are, so as I'm always informed by my recruiting team, there are super talented people in the database with amazing backgrounds. The Canadian companies are very interested. So yes, you might say 80% of our talent lived in the U.S. at one point and may have gone back. But there is more international talent showing up in there, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. that, and then I, I guess timeline is it still ninety days if they're outside of the U.S. too? Because I know they they've got to go through the consular processing. I'm assuming as well, getting the appointments and everything. Is that still an accurate timeline? Yeah, there's someone that's um, coming over from India right now. We, um, we're getting plane ticket information from them. They did it in less than ninety, so mm -hmm. it is. Sometimes the only challenge is in your country getting that last visa stamp that can take a little bit of extra time. And then if there's some COVID protocols, but COVID has goofed things up, but it shouldn't change it materially being outside of the country, outside of the U.S., I should say. But from okay. U.S., that is usually the easiest way. And then I guess the other thing with with Path to Canada, with it being company centered location sometimes is determined then by the employer right versus if we look at syndesis you can kind of pick where you want to where you want to go if other than time zones right that'd be i, I yeah. guess another little nuance there it is and, and we asked the question on the, on the initial sales call we asked you know when we're talking through like what workers you're looking for what are your challenges we we We've done so many of these calls. We already know that we already know that the Canadian companies they'll they'll relate their challenges basically being Google Canada, Amazon Canada, Shopify. They'll they'll list all the companies either U.S. operations or big Canadian companies that are hiring up all the talent. They'll say like, look, it's hard to compete against. How do you compete against Amazon and Google? And then and then as we're asking them questions about the talent we're looking for, we always ask, Are you open for remote? Because we see your headquarters is Toronto. We see your headquarters is in Montreal, or your headquarters is in Vancouver. Almost every single Canadian company has said, yes, remote's fine. We didn't, maybe we didn't believe that before COVID, but things have changed. We, we need to go where the talent is. Mm -hmm. We are not going to you know, demand the person lives in, in the city where our headquarters is. The majority of them say they're open to remote. So that goes back to the worker of pick the place in Canada you want to live.
that gives them flexibility. I think we're seeing that right now in talent acquisition here in the U.S. is that companies that are offering remote versus even hybrid or on-site are, are ones that are, are having a, a, a less time to fill. Uh, just wanted to ask everyone again, if you haven't already, make sure you've liked this video and are subscribed to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Uh, we will try to do a Q&A here at the end. So if you do have questions or comments um, that you'd like for uh, Mark to uh, address, please drop those in the chat. Um, we'll, we'll definitely get to those. We, um, we, we'd love to take some questions from you. Um, so please add those in. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the challenges with, with both aspects, right? The Syndesis challenges um, from an employer perspective and, and then challenges on the path to Canada side from the employee perspective. What are some of the challenges that, that you're facing right now? On the Syndesis side, it is letting people know that this even exists. There are mm. so many, like, I think maybe last summer, it was May of last year, I was on the cover of the biggest newspaper in, in Silicon Valley, um, San Jose Mercury News. Mm -hmm. and, and, and some of the people that commented afterwards, some of the people who reached out just said, I had no idea this existed. We delivered bad news to the to the team member, the OPT where they weren't picked, and that was it. And all of a sudden there's this, no, there's this move your job to Canada idea. So there's a, a massive learning curve there of most people in HR would say, you know, hey, look, we did, we did everything we could, and then that there's nothing else to do. So our biggest challenge then is letting people know in the U.S. and it's and it's a lot of times, Robert. What I find is the work. It's the worker finding us. It's them scouring through um, Google or YouTube, and all of a sudden coming across a video where I'm like this, like or and saying, oh, you can move your job to Canada. And it's them going to their employer saying, hold on, mm -hmm. before you leave, did you realize this was an op option? And what their U.S. employer is going to say is, "I'd never heard of this. Let's have let's let's rig up a call." So the biggest challenge I think that that we come across is lack of knowledge that this exists. I um I just in the chat I dropped the article from the Mercury News for you. That was looks like that was back on May May twenty first. Um, and you know again news I, I think when you Silicon Valley it is the rag right so. Um, to to get your name in there and and having been in the valley, I mean, I, I think that just shows you. We also talked about, you know, I, I've been reading this um, uh, uh, book, the Global Talent War, and it had the the billboard from Silicon Valley that that was the that that is always referenced, right? Want to move to Canada, right? And so, you know, I think this whole concept of Canada looking to attract talent in the U.S. because of of the fatigue. I think that's a great word for it. Um, we're we're beginning to see um, that really occurring more frequently, right? And kind of going back to was the number I think I saw four hundred thousand was the goal for GTS um, for for Canada was one of the goals I I'd, I'd seen that they they had come out with um, yeah. a couple a couple years ago. So the the four hundred thousand Canada usually the, the numbers they've usually done is one percent of population. So three hundred and they're thirty five, thirty six million um, roughly Canadians. So there's, it's always been like three fifty, three sixty. The new numbers that came out from the Canadian um, government for immigration targets it was like four. This is overall immigration, all programs. I think for twenty it was like four hundred thousand, four hundred and ten, and then I think it goes to four hundred and twenty. So that's like they put some aggressive numbers out there, and for for GTS Global Talent Stream, the the work visa um, program, the I think when it was created as a pilot program four years ago, the comment was there's a shortage of engineers in Canada of two hundred thousand, and we're just mm. trying. So, I don't know if I've heard numbers like fifty, sixty, seventy thousand have been brought in over the program. So, that's to show it's successful. Tens of thousands of people are moving to Canada under it. But I think if what I would say is, if I look at the phone calls that I have with Canadian tech companies, I'm educating them on global talent stream. So just like in the US, there's no knowledge of here's what's happening in Canada. In Canada, what I often find is we educate the Canadian company saying, here's a super cool work visa program that your country has. It's mm -hmm. low cost. It's easy to use. It's amazing. It's fast. 
And then what I have a lot of Canadian companies saying is, wow, that's interesting. I, you know, we, we've heard the name, but we didn't hear the details of it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not just telling you about it. I'm actually going to tell you, I'm going to actually send you candidates that you can hire through the program. It's not just educating mm-hmm. you on what it can do. We're going to actually show you how you can win and how everyone can win. You can get tech talent that you can't find in Canada and you can change the lives of people who are in the U.S. who are in a situation where th- there's no hope of green card. They move to Canada, boom, whole new life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the the article that we were mentioning, you, you, you quoted to say same laptop, same job, but they're sitting in Vancouver. Yeah, that's for for Cindesis moving their job up. Literally, that happens. Um, even during COVID, we moved someone up from Dallas to Vancouver, and it was basically packed everything up and said, "Yeah, I took my laptop, and then you know, forty eight hours later, I set up in Canada, my new apartment, mm-hmm. opened my laptop, went from one you know COVID quarantine in one apartment in Dallas to COVID quarantined in Vancouver, and then just continued working, same job, same laptop, same boss, same mm-hmm. everything as if before. That's exactly what, how it rolls." Hmm. You know, one of the questions I get asked a lot, though, and, and I know we've talked a lot about tech here in the U.S., but one of the most popular questions I get asked when I promote and talk about Syndesis and Path to Canada both um, surrounds itself around medical professionals. And, you know, I know that that's not the space that you're in. There's a lot, a lot of different regulation in, involved in that. Uh, but I wanted to just throw it over to you, you know, really quickly. If if there is some guidance that we can offer for individuals that may be in the U.S., medical professionals in the U.S. that are considering Canada as an option, you know, what are those avenues and, and pathways for them? I wish there were better answers because, like you said, there's a – if you look at different professions, tech transfers easy. So if you – a STEM degree, computer science degree, all recognized in Canada. If you're, you know, tech roles, your DevOps, um, C Sharp, you know, whatever you're working on in the U.S. easily transfers over to Canada. There's salary differentials, of course, but there's a there's a, hung, a hunger for tech talent. The challenge come is when it comes to we get this with business people too. We'll get these MBA profiles mm-hmm. of someone who top business school, but they're all like they're in a sales or a strategic role, a strategic role. And it's like, okay, global talent stream was about tech workers or the managers of tech workers. It was, it didn't open up to people on the business side. Unfortunately, it's not opened up on the medical side. I, mm-hmm. I think there's a frustration there and there should be, which, which is you, you get a degree as a nurse, doctor, dentist, anywhere, you know, any medical profession in your country, you're certified. But with Canadian immigration, it go, then it's like, are you certified in Canada? And I think in those medical professions, that's where you find, the, the, obviously, the Canadian medical profession making certain demands. I would hope there are changes because just like in tech, there are shortages you know, in medical fields across Canada, too. I'm hoping for changes there. I wish there would be ones, but you're right. That's something where it is not a smooth transition, unfortunately. Yeah, it seems like literally, uh, you know, every time we talk about it, it always comes up, right? Because, you know, there's so many doctors and nurses that are here in the U.S. on H-1B. And again, that that lends itself to to what you do through the PEO and, and through the GTS program. Uh, well, they're always curious, like, hey, it, it is a global talent stream, correct? It's not global tech stream, you know? Yeah, um, we should have the provisions for medical that I would, I would be so happy to hear that as with many other people. Yeah. Um, hope to have an update from you someday, but yeah, I haven't heard of many changes happening there in the medical profession, unfortunately. Um, I did kind of think about one thing that we talked about, you know, the GTS visa is good for two years. Is that extendable? How, how long can it be extended? Is it indefinite? What, what does the extension process look like? It can be. It is a two-year work visa issued, and it can be extended in 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 those in increments. Uh, the question always comes up because there's a nuance to your question that I hear from people, and my my team hears from people is saying, okay, they want to know like, well, how much runway do I have? But then the the follow-up question I, I know is, okay, look, I was on an H-1B. Yes, I can I can extend. But it's all about permanent residence. So thanks for the two-year work visa. Great to hear that it's there. Great to hear that I extend it. But now my follow-up questions, 
which why I always send over to an immigration lawyer. They're like, and how fast do you get PR? Because I don't want the same thing happening like happened in the U.S. I don't, I don't want to be on an on a multiple extended work visa. I want to know what's possible. You just mm -hmm. told me it's possible, and now my conversation switches over to how fast can I get PR? How many points do I get for this uh, this work? Um, and this employment that I have, how many points to get each year and the Canadian immigration lawyers that we partner with, they walk people through that basically saying like, you, you're, here's your timeline. They can map out the timeline to PR. That's where the questions ultimately lie. Cause no one wants to have the same life in the U S indefinitely on a work visa. You want right. a permanent. The two year, two year, two year, they're looking for two year plus, you know, four, right. I, I would assume that's the, that's the cell that, that you have. So what is life like in Canada? You know, you said you, you, you went to school there, were on a student visa there, lived there, you know, two times. Um, sprawling country, right? I, I, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's some pretty extremes from, you know, northeastern Canada to, to the western, uh, you know, part of, of Canada as well. If I'm a high-skilled immigrant in the U.S. or somebody that's considering Canada as my option? What's life like in Canada? It's a good question because initial questions we get are always around, like, you know, we'll be on these calls or webinars with the Canadian Immigration Lawyer and we'll spell out, like, okay, here's this work visa, here's this, you know, renewable. And then we'll, and then the follow-up questions are, again, more work visa questions are like, oh, my partner, can they, can they, what's the situation for them? So I'm like, open work visa. But then the follow-up questions are then, okay, um, can I build a career in tech? What's my career path going to be like for me? If the person's married, they're going to want to know what their partner can do. Because sometimes we have a lot of people who are dual degree and mm -hmm. one can't work in the U.S. I'm like, well, both of you can. It's your choice. You can work in Canada. Then the questions are going to come up. So the questions range from... You know, what, what's it like to build a career in tech in Canada? You know, what, you know, can I, I'm early, I'm early in my career, my, my mid late twenties or, you know, thirties, I have a ways to go. So then we can spell out, okay, look, if, you know, here's the, and we'll be, we'll be putting a lot of content out like the out for this in 2022, basically saying, and here are the Canadian unicorns and here's the vol, here's the number of um, the volume of VC funding that's flown to Canada, that's gone mm. into Canadian tech companies. And here's how some of them are growing. Oh, mm -hmm. look, and here's all the U.S. companies who figured out they got they got H-1B fatigue. They figured out global talent stream. And some of them have opened offices, not just Microsoft, Amazon, um, Google, Facebook, not just the usual suspects. Now you have um, Series C and D U.S. companies uh, who are venture funded opening up engineering teams in Canada saying, hey, let's take advantage of this work visa program, too. So now for a tech career, I can paint a picture saying, Look, you have the, there's one company sponsoring you, bringing you in. But if you look longer, there are multiple U.S. and Canadian companies to work at. Hmm. As long as the U.S. remains restrictive on immigration, some companies have figured this out and said we're opening offices in Canada, and that's where global expansion is. So I can paint a picture of great career opportunities. Then I can also paint a picture of okay, you're there for the long term. You're going to want to know about schools, K through 12. You're going to want to know about Canadian universities. You're going to want to know that, hey, is this a good place to build a life? And again, those those questions are all extremely valid. You know, it comes to Canadian universities, you know, University of Waterloo is like the MIT of Canada. All the Silicon Valley companies, like half their graduating class goes to the U.S. I think it's a mm. third or half. So there are great Canadian universities, University of Toronto, you know, University of British Columbia, there are plenty of great Canadian universities where you can go there if you're looking longer term of like, okay, look, is this a place to stay and build a life? Mm -hmm. Yes. Quality of life living there. Great country. It is the, the, the if you want city life, Toronto's the fourth biggest city in North America. Yeah, I saw like that. Chicago. It's like Mexico City, New York, LA, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Some but it's the only Canadian company, I think, in the top 10, or company, the only Canadian city in the top 10 in North America, I believe, is Toronto. Um, yeah. And then I think I saw, like, Vancouver's in the top 25, I believe, in terms of, of overall. Um, yeah. So would you, would you say those are the two most popular destinations? Yeah. Um, over half of all immigrants to Canada go to Toronto. Um, mm -hmm. It's always a destination. Uh, the they'll claim to be more multicultural than New York in terms of languages spoken, um, culture. Um, 
people from different countries that are there. But number two is Vancouver. So you both of those are is where the bulk of of people go initially. But mm-hmm. as you asked earlier about remote work, you have options. There, some companies like will say go wherever you want to go, and you might say like I've heard a few people say, hey, I. I saw the taxes in Alberta are low and I want to live in Calgary and houses there are, are dramatically cheaper than the other cities. True. Mm-hmm. All very, that can be a, that can be a destination. If your company's like sure remote's great. Then you have people saying, well, then where's the best place to live for quality of life or speed to own a home or taxes. Again, you're working remote. You have more options of where you want to live. Mm-hmm. So yeah, all those, and- it's a good question. Why can't like the, the things that go in that, that people think about, it starts with the immigration then it switches over to, qual- to to career. Then it switches over to quality of life in terms of like where to live, housing costs, quality of education. All those things are 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 easily doable in Canada. And then you know, going back to the culture, and you talk about Toronto as a destination. I think I saw that fifty percent of the city residents are immigrants. Something yeah. like that is is that. That's a staggering number, you know, if you think about what that that means from a cultural perspective um, in a, a, a major metro city in, in North America um, and being comparable to New York in terms of diversity is is a, a, a testament to the GTS program and the Express Entry program, right, which has been in place for a while and rewarded merit with with points and given you know extra points to spouses who were educated and have a certain level of experience i mean there's a a lot to be said which i've talked about a good bit um here on this channel uh in in reference to um just wanted to mention again uh uh would see your question we'll definitely get to that here in a few minutes um but if if there's any other questions comments um while we have mark for for the next you know 10 15 minutes here Please post those in in the chat, and uh, we'll be sure to to get to them here towards uh, towards the end of this discussion. Here, um, just ask you again to please like this video and and make sure you're subscribed here to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube. Um, Mark, I wanted to ask about a couple of success stories. Um, I know when you were here in Atlanta, you were meeting with a client that was in the process of of moving an employee. And I know that you, you had shared a couple of individual success stories via uh, path to Canada. Um, I know some of those are highlighted uh, via the testimonials on the website, which there are links in um, the description of this video. You can go check out um, my, my page in, in conjunction um, with Syndesis and path to Canada. It has the testimonials and all the information about if you qualify, do you qualify for path to Canada? Do you qualify for Syndesis? Uh, but let's talk about a couple of success stories um, that that you've had recently. Um, I know you had mentioned uh, an individual by the name of of Chaitanya. I think was was an individual that that you had had some pretty recent success with. So just let you highlight a couple of those right now, if you don't mind. Sure, um, I'll do one. I'll cover one person for Syndesis who we moved their job to Canada, and then I'll cover um, on Path to Canada. So one person comes to mind. So I was in Vancouver last month. Um, Tatiana's story is is on the Syndesis website, but it's basically an immigrant to the U.S., did not get picked in the lottery, working for a VC-backed tech company in Baltimore that is integral person on the team. And basically, you, you know how this goes. You, you don't get picked third time. You have a date when you have to leave the U.S. And I remember speaking to the company first, right, you know, before the lottery, they said, well, you know, last try, Mark, that's, in, you know, you know, they were actually already a Syndesis client and they said, um, we heard about the, you have a service, you know, we're already employing people in Canada, but now we, we might need your service to remotely employ, to move someone up. Let's see how the lottery goes. Well, like fingers crossed, we want everything to work out. They came back a couple months later with the bad news saying, okay, look, we got the reality check. It didn't work out. Uh, and now we have a narrow, a narrow date to make this all happen. So well, within three months or so, we were able to move her, from the U.S. Uh, to Vancouver, that's the city she chose to be in, and I was mm-hmm. there last month I had to meet her and hear the story. And it's it's sad to hear the story where you see someone who like came to the U.S. did everything right, and then along the way like things didn't work out. But the, the best part of the story is, okay, at a moment where the 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 answer would have been you're going to have to go back um, home, you're going to go to home country to the Ukraine. It was nope. You're going to keep your cool job. You've earned it. Uh, 
you now get to, you will be, your company's going to move you to Canada, same job, same laptop, same boss, same everything, as you said earlier. Now you're sitting in Vancouver and you're on your path, you're, you're, you've been connected to Canadian immigration lawyers, you're on a path to stay in Canada permanently. And Syndesis was able to facilitate that. So that to me is like, we've, we have more and more of those stories. And for us, it's just a matter of getting the word out and we can multiply the number of people we can help. Mm. On the Canada side, yeah, there's, in the last, I would say in the last 90 days, we're in the process of working with, we found jobs for 10 people and they're all in, um, some of them have work visas approved and in the process of moving over the next couple of weeks. And there's just, there's one person that stands out. I, I know the, their, their story's a bit personal, so I don't want to share their name, but there's a, there's a comment that I heard, which was, this is someone on an H-1B who'd been in the U.S. for a long time and the comment uh, that what they shared with the with our all of us on the Pat Panda team was a level of sadness, depression had set in of realizing that there there is no U.S. green card. Like you, you know, you got a cool job on the H one B, there wasn't. And then the, a few months back, they had seen our. Um, they probably seen an ad for Pat Panda. Maybe it's something on Google. They found us. They filled their name out. You know, I remember my recruiter saying. There's an amazing engineer who was, you know, who's filled information out. The videos were, you know, we, we video interviewed them twice. Awesome. We have, let's, there's multiple places for them. Let's get them interviewing. Within 30 days, job offer, a mm. good one. One that mm. was the like, I'm impressed. And there was, we do like this. So I, I got to meet them and I got to hear a little bit more about their story. But what I also got to see and what the team got to see was a transformation from, it's one thing if you're like, I, I, you know, here's my immigration status. That's it in the U.S. It's a different thing of here's a super cool job. You're on your way to Canadian permanent residence. You're talking to a Canadian immigration lawyer. It's all different. And there's a complete mm -hmm. change in demeanor, in attitude, in, in, in basically like hope, I think is the best word. So mm -hmm. those stories over the next 30, 60 days, there'll be more of them posted on Path to Canada. So we have a group of 10 people moving in and it will be a quite larger volume in 2022 of people that we can help. There'll be a lot more success stories to share in um, Q1 and beyond. No, that's awesome. And I think, you know, when you, you start to look at that story, and as you said in the last name, ninety days, the the nine others. I mean, those are those are lives that you're changing. And that's one thing for me and and staffing when we look at, you know as recruiters and recruiting firms, whether that's here in the U S or, um, you know, assisting with <laughs> migration, relocation to Canada on employment-based merit, it, 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 you're, you're changing lives. And, you know, that story that you just told, um, if you spend any time on, on hashtag, uh, immigration Twitter, right. Uh, you'll, you'll see the fatigue that, that exists in the H1B culture and the H1B population, um and and it's extremes right it's it's folks that have been here that said i would never do it again knowing what i know and then it's others that say i came here and i'm willing to wait because i'm i'm here i've spent you know my year 25 through 35 already in the u.s i have a family here and now i'm i'm here um, and I think when we start to, to look at demographics and individuals that for you are are in line with the process it's a pretty wide range. I mean, I think you can you can look at folks that are you know one to two years out of a master's program to to maybe folks that have ten to fifteen years of experience, and so that's a pretty wide range that you can you can cover uh, when we look at at candidates and and candidate pools for you to to draw into. Um, success stories, though, as a company owner and the individual who had this concept to facilitate, you know, this demand, right? The demand in Canada and the demand for the individual here in the U.S. It's it's very gratifying, and I, I love hearing those stories and and really appreciate you you sharing those. I shared um, uh, the the data assembly uh, story from your website in in the chat for those that that may be Correct. watching this now or, or at a future date. Um, wanted to take a few minutes just. We had like one question. I'm going to pull it up. I think it's a great question uh, because it it talks about, you know, there are limits on employment-based green cards here in the U.S. 
But does Canada have a limit on the number of permanent residents that they would issue in a year? I'll caveat that by saying I'm not a Canadian immigration lawyer, so I don't. I have never heard of limits, though. So, for example, global talent stream. It's not about limits. It's they're trying to get minimum of two hundred thousand people in. There's only fifty, sixty, seventy thousand. They would, if you were talking to Canadian immigration services, they'd probably say, "Well, we're we're we need more. Like we're far behind." The four hundred thousand target is a target to try and get all immigrants into Canada. What Canada usually does is they have a they're drawing different people on a, on a points level. They'll, they'll moderate what those points are like, well, here's like draws, like, Oh, we, anyone above 470, 400 for express entry, 472, 476, you hear numbers like that. Mm-hmm. You know, anyone, anyone with those numbers or above, you're invited to apply for permanent residence. There's a whole bunch of people sitting below that at 430, 440. Mm-hmm. That's where mm-hmm. earlier you, you get a job in Canada, either through Syndesis or through path to Canada that Canadian job offer is 50 points. Every yeah. year you work in Canada has a certain number of points added to it. Mm-hmm. So we usually saying I was under the express limit. You know, I was in the, I was below that 470 or 470 ish number, but after one or two years, uh, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm above the number. I was invited to apply for permanent residence. So that that's mm-hmm. one way. I'm not aware of a limit where Canada is in the state like we do in the U S let's limit it. They're mm-hmm. just doing it volume, but mm. a, so in a way, is that, a, is that a a bit of a limit? Yes. But if you look at the numbers Canada's trying to hit, they're aggressive. And they're mm-hmm. like that target. They're, they're below that, which just means they're going to have to get more creative. They're, it's almost like the opposite of the U.S. They're going to try and find more creative ways to bring more people into Canada to hit the number. They're mm-hmm. trying to hit a high, not a limit number. And I would imagine some of that has been impacted by COVID, too. Right. And you look at kind of where they've they've been over the last 18 months and in terms of hitting their numbers or their target numbers. Yeah. Thanks for bringing that up, because I forgot to mention that. So there are multiple ways you can cross into Canada. You can go on a student visa. You can go on a global talent work stream visa. You can get invited as a permanent resident. Those are a few for immigrants to Canada. During covid, the student visas, students were allowed to come in all the work visas. So we, we were moving people across the border right in the middle of COVID where the delays mm. longer in immigration services, significantly longer, so a few months longer than usual because all the officers were working from home, but they processed the visas and they allowed people in because they were, they referred to tech workers as essential workers. That's, that was the exception. But what they did tell us permanent residents who got, who were approved. My understanding is they said, hold on, like, you're on like we got you know you're approved but don't come in yet so during the you know during covid especially that group was put on hold but the work visas were still processed they left it open so that shows you that even how important the global talent stream work visa program is to canada it's it is considered essential for the tech workers coming in mm-hmm. yeah and you know i i guess that that uh, while you were answering that and you know talking about that point we're talking about Canadian offer letters. One of the things that, that came to mind for me, um, was the, the salaries, right. You know, are, are the offers comparable to what we see in the U S how does, how does that break down? I'm, I'm definitely curious about that myself. Right. Yeah. The the question comes up all the time. So when we're screening people with our video screens, like there, there was one caller, uh, so I think over summer who had said, uh, I'm, I'm at Google and I make 400,000 us and I'm, uh, I'm, you know, that that's, that's, you know, my target salary. I'm looking, I'm looking to stay in that band. It's like, you know, that's, that is more of a us Silicon Valley thing. You know, you, you're, you're probably not going to make that amount. So we, we do have to course correct people on, you know, more realistic salary expectations. So yeah. Is there a, a, a bit of a Canadian haircut as we say? Yes. Mm. But we also, and and we're going to have more content on this, but the other side of it we're looking at is take living in the U.S. And I've lived in San Francisco for years. I've lived all over Silicon Valley for years. Take the cost of living in Silicon Valley and what you get, and then take the option of if you could work remotely from Canada anywhere, and what would would be your cost to live there of housing. In the U.S., everyone I know has families is budgeting $250,000, $300,000 per kid or more for college. That doesn't happen in Canada. So I think a case can be made of you're, you're in tech, you're in demand, 
you're going to do well. And maybe the company that brings you across may not pay you exactly what you're looking for. But when after two years, when you have your permanent residence, you can work for any company, you can go target Google Canada and Amazon Canada and the best of the best. You can, all, you, you can find ways to increase your salary. So yes, will it take a dip? Yes. Is the cost of living in Canada, if you don't pick Vancouver or Toronto, cost of living, it can be less definitely than the Bay Area where I've lived or where New York where I'm living now. So mm-hmm. there's ways to work it to make it equitable. And then lastly, what's the cost of the ability to be a, a Canadian citizen when the U.S. isn't giving you that option? So when I hear people talking about how much they're making in the U.S., and I'm like, okay, you're on H-1B work visa and you're not in line to get a green card. What, what's the cost of that uncertainty that you have to live with for years or decades mm-hmm. versus the certainty of what you get in Canada? Will you take a price? Will, is that, are you willing to take a bit of a discount on your salary for that? That's a very personal question. Yeah, it is. And as recruiters, it's the most personal question that we talk about is, is compensation, right? Is, you know, what are you looking for? What are you willing to consider? And then you talk about all the other options outside of it. And and that being in, in conjunction, you know, with the total package, right? Lower healthcare costs, things that, you know, some of the other French things that we didn't even really get into um, today. But, you know, I, I think, you know, from from my perspective, we talk about you know what. Why would somebody who promotes H one B visas here in the U S. Um, you know partner with you and and uh, and Path to Canada? Well, it, it completes the cycle, right? I understand that there are individuals that come here that run out of options. And, you know, I, I, you know, we were introduced, you know, by our friend Roman Zelichenko and, and really appreciate, you know, his introduction um, because what we do overlaps a lot. Um, the, the audience that watches and consumes my content and reads my website is the exact demographic um, that your service assists. And so yes. um, it, it makes a lot of sense for, for us to have this partnership. And, and from, you know, me personally, I just I want to thank you for your trust in me, the H1B guy to promote your products and your product lines and, and their products that I believe in. And so, uh, you know, if, if you are watching this now or in the future, you know, please use the, the link in the description below. Um, there's, there's separate forms for Syndesis and Pat to Canada that, that can help you determine whether or not you qualify. Um, but you know, Mark, I just wanted to say thank you so much for for your partnership and and um, you know your commitment here to to this platform. I really appreciate it, Robert. Every time we have a conversation, I learn something new. That's why uh, our hour and a half in Atlanta would have been a lot longer because I had a a long list of questions. And I learned a lot from you, so thank you for having me on again. Very much awesome. appreciate it. No, I, I really appreciate it, and I, I wanted to go ahead and and plant this seed as a reminder. Um, that Mark and I will be back again together on February 2nd, tentatively as of right now, again, three o'clock Eastern. Um, but we're also going to be joined at that point by uh, Canadian immigration attorney, Daniel Mandelbaum, who I know helps you in a lot of your processing. And we can talk a little bit more legal speak with Daniel and really, you know, ask him some process and, and get into the minutia around legalities and um you know issues that come up because you know you and i talked that these the gts has a very high approval rating and um you know you you look at the overall aspect of it it's just the timeline right now is is that it's 90 days and if if you're in front of that 90 days if if i'm an employer or if i'm an individual again you got to be you know four five six months in advance because it could take a couple of months to get an offer just as is the process so, yeah. um, so we'll look forward to doing that on February 2nd, uh, of 2022. Hard to believe that, you know, that's, that's just under two months away. Um, but, you know, really appreciate you coming on the, the channel again for a second time to, um, to continue to talk about all the great things that are happening, uh, at Syndesis and, and Path to Canada. I wanted to just give a shout out to some of the members on your team, um, who have been super helpful, uh, Carrie and Allison and Jane and um, Tara, some of your support staff that I've had the opportunity to 
to interact with. Just really appreciate all that they've they've done here for for me and uh, and for you and and helping this make this happen. So um, thank you to the folks that are behind the scenes and and doing so. Um, really, Mark and I really appreciate your support and making this happen. So so thank you all for that. Um, but Mark, look forward to continuing the conversation. Uh, just again, thanks thanks so much for jumping in here this afternoon. Um, if folks are looking to find you, of course, you know there's there's several means to which you can um, uh, follow Syndesis. Uh, Syndesis is on Twitter. Um, Mark's on LinkedIn. Syndesis has LinkedIn uh, pages as well. Um, of course, their website and, you know, all of that can can again be found through the, the link in, in the video description here. Um, but wanted to uh, to, to go ahead and, and, and close us out here and, and just remind everyone that um, today's stream was brought to you by Syndesis and Path to Canada, the ideal plan B for high skilled immigrants currently located in the U.S. whose status may be uncertain. If you're facing an H-1B denial or OPT expiration, don't get caught off guard. As we talked about four months in advance, you need to be thinking about this, if not more. Um, yes. The folks at Syndesis and Path to Canada would love to help you. And please, please, please be sure to use that link in the video description below. Um, that'll take you right to a landing page that has all of their service offerings and you can find out if you qualify. Of course, if you have questions, you can reach out to me directly. I can definitely help facilitate a connection um, to Mark and his team. Uh, but again, thank you so much, Mark, for the sponsorship. As, and also, you know, Stream is brought to you by, by our other sponsor, perm-ads.com. They're the industry leader in providing a seamless experience for employers and immigration attorneys navigating the complex perm recruitment ad phase of the labor certification process. Um, so again, Mark, we'll see you back on February 2nd and with Daniel Mandelbaum. Um, we'll, we'll begin doing some promotion around that probably mid-end of January. Um, may even look to take some questions in advance from some of uh, you out here who are watching this who may have questions um, as we lead up to uh, to that stream. So, Mark, wanted to see if you had anything you wanted to say before I close this out. Just want to say thank you. Uh, thank you very much for having me back on. Appreciate it. Awesome. My pleasure. And uh, look forward to uh, the next time you're in Atlanta. And as I told Roman, uh, next time I'm in NYC, which needs to happen because it's been too long. Um, three of us hopefully can can get together and uh, and and make that happen. So absolutely. Um, with that being said, just wanted to ask you one last time, please like this video, uh, subscribe to the H1B Guy channel here on YouTube and click the bell for notifications so that you're notified anytime we post new content here to this channel or go live like we did here today at 3 p.m. Eastern on Wednesday, December the 8th. If you've made it this far and streaming with us, thank you. If you've made it this far and you're watching this at a later date, thank you for taking the time to watch my video and watch this interview here with Mark. We both really appreciate your support. And, um, you know, I'm Robert and I'm the H1B guy, your global source for all things H1B.